0: Um, I know we only met last week for the first time, but like I was so impressed with you and everything that you do. I know you left the kind of corporate world maybe about six years ago. You have a real focus on helping startups, founders. Um, and I suppose this podcast named The Power of Hindsight. And something I suppose I learned from my first business was that I think something people don't focus on enough is is accounting and, and looking after their finances. So I want to get like really straight into it. I want the the listeners people are watching to get like some real actionable insights out of it something they can implement tomorrow and um, so I kind of probably want to start with maybe like a bit of a story so let's just say you are uh, an independent person you're either a, a personal trainer or say you're a graphic designer you're doing freelance work say you're an influencer right now mm-hmm. on Instagram and let's say you've earned maybe 40,000 over the last eight months what are kind of some of the things that They should be doing when it comes to accounting and finance.
1: Sure. So, um, is it worthwhile just giving a quick insight into kind of my background before I go in there? So, in terms of kind of where I've kind of had started to have more empathy with these kind of people, you know, the kind of founders of small businesses, I came from a big, uh, I guess, a corporate background with with the big four at PwC, and then for the last six years I've worked with founders. So, I've started to feel these kind of pain points and see this kind of stuff play out. So, I can sort of I can input from a place of kind of genuine, like, empathy now, I feel. Um, so yeah, what you, the first thing they need to be considering, obviously, is, is um, whether they want to be, well, they need to consider firstly, before you even get to that stage, hopefully, whether you want to be a limited company, whether you're going to, say, self, uh, self-employed. So that's a consideration. But if you are in a position where you've already earned this money, ultimately, at that point, you're probably self-employed because you don't even realise what you should be doing with that, that income. Um, you want to understand what the tax implications are. And I think, you know, for sure, Ideally, go and go and speak to an accountant, um, but you should even just having the mindset of like, I've earned this money, I probably should be paying, should be paying some tax is honestly, you're probably ahead of quite a lot of people at that stage just because, you know, I, I guess I don't know what it is, is sort of time just creeps up on you, especially if you're, it, you're running your own business and it's full on and you just think, oh, I sort it tomorrow, oh, I don't really know what i will doing and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, you're 18 months in and, hey, geez, no one's come running for me. I've got all this money in my bank, and now I'm a little bit kind of worried because, well, as I said, no one's knocking on my door, but I'm pretty sure I need to pay something. Um, So fundamentally, when you're self-employed, you pay tax via self-assessment. So the first thing you need to do is you need to get registered for self-assessment in order to do that. So literally, just type onto the internet, self-assessment registration, go through the steps, make sure you're you're on there, you've got digital access. You want to make the decision as to whether you're a limited company or self-employed. And by default, you'll be self-employed, i.e. your business is the same as you. There's no differential between the two. So unless you talk to an accountant and and discuss that, you're gonna end up by default with self-employed unless you go and incorporate a business. That's a separate conversation, but if you've already earned the money, as yourself, um, as self-employed, you need to make sure you register. and With that process, you'll get a, what's called a UTR, unique tax reference, and um, then you'll be able to then fill in your self-assessment, which at that point, you really want to either be tapping into some of the amazing resources that you have online, uh, something like Crunch. They do some really good content around um, advice for, for, for self-assessment, for, for self-employed, and walking yourself through the self-assessment process, which happens, the deadline is at the end of January every year, which is um, following the tax year, which finishes on 8- April the 5th. Um, so either you can do it yourself or approach an accountant to take you through that process. Relatively straightforward, and, and, and at that point, you then need to start thinking about how do I, not only how am I making sure I declare everything that I've earned, but what can I do to minimise a tax liability as well?
0: And- Going back to self employed and limited company. Yeah. Why would you make what what would make you want to be a limited company compared to being self employed? What are sort of the benefits of, of either?
1: Yeah, sure. So There's a kind of wider calculation there around kind of what the most beneficial is from a tax perspective. It's generally, depending on, you have to consider a few things. So if you're a business that's a lifestyle business, what you earn is what you're going to take out. Fundamentally, you're earning to live. It's very different to if you're a limited company or a business, sorry, that you want to reinvest back in. If you want to reinvest back into that business, often it is more beneficial to be a limited company because by default, if you're not a limited company, everything you earn is gonna be taxed um, and it can be at a significantly higher rate than if you're a limited company. So that's one thing you wanna consider. And again, you can have that conversation with an accountant, it, the, the calculations can get more complicated. Generally speaking, accountants people will tend to consider an income of around £25,000 a year to be sort of, you definitely want to be a limited company beyond that. It's more tax okay. efficient to do that. So outside of that first consideration, generally speaking, it's around there. I don't know the exact numbers, but you then want to be starting to think, mm-hmm. I should really be a limited company. And just just on, on that note again, Really, from a tax perspective, it's invariably more efficient to be a limited company. Why then is not everyone a limited company? Generally speaking, because the admin, the, the admin is more laborious. You have to generally engage an accountant, who will charge more money. And so, when you think about the 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 efforts involved, the extra admin and the accountant's fees, that's why they tend we tend to say around twenty five thousand pounds of income is when you look to it be you know more beneficial to do that. If you happen to know an accountant or something, you know like the old accountant I can do my own accounts, I'll tend to just go straight in with a limited company.
0: So If you're doing something part-time and you're earning 20,000 a year, probably best just be self-employed. If it's actually now your full-time job and you're earning in excess of that, probably more beneficial tax-wise to be um, a limited company. And if you are a limited company and you go to an accountant and simple, let's not get too intricate, they earn 50,000 this year, what sort of fees... From an accountant, should be like, ooh, that's too much, or that's an average, and I hope you can you can answer that within reason.
1: Yeah, it's tricky. So I'm on a journey to try and reduce the fees and improve quality. Kind of crazy, like an accountant would be saying that, but that's the reality. Um, I think you know, for a simple set, it varies, right? So there there are factors, in that. and I think any accountant that gives you a fee off the cuff without doing any review of, of your financials and, your, and understanding your situation, it's likely to probably not deliver what you want from them um, because there are different complexities depending on how your business is shaped. You might be turning over half a million but be the most straightforward business because you're just a consultant who gets a super high fee for what you do and actually there's not a lot going through it. Or you could be a business turning over half a million that's got tons of inventory flying all over the place, you're dealing internationally, you've got different VAT things going on, you've got 50 employees. So it varies massively and then the accounting implications very massively. For a simple set of accounts, I mean, honestly, it varies massively. I would say anything you should be looking at, if you're a limited company, realistically from sort of a £1,000 a year upwards, I would say probably as a minimum. Um, If you're getting, uh, you know, anything above kind of the most basic service, you know, counters might do a year end from £500 upwards, I wouldn't suggest you're necessarily going to get the best service at that point. But if you're a really simple business, then, you know, that kind of works for you because you might not need that support. You might not be a lot going on in the business. And for even more simple businesses, you can go below that. But I would say, you know, basic, really f- from a £1,000 upwards. Right. Um, and then it really varies depending on, on the, size, the size of the business. The key thing there is to say, though, is that if you've got a good accountant, you shouldn't ever feel like you're going to go to an accountant and you're not going to be able to afford their services. The way that I put it personally is if I'm, putting a fee in front of you and you can't afford it, then I'm a really shoddy financial advisor. If I'm putting something in front of you that doesn't offer the value that I'm charging, even if you're making losses, an accountant should be able to help you to maximize the, you know, uh, or to reduce, to improve the situation you're in and you should be able to see value in what they're charging. If you can't, red flags.
0: Right, okay. And another thing that I learned from from past experiences was So let's say just simple things as saving receipts and using your home office as tax deductible. When you're a limited company, there are kind of little things you can put in to bring down your tax bill. What are the sort of main things that you could probably give some advice to people where they should be looking at things where they can reduce their tax bill? And also when it comes to, you know, getting that coffee, getting that tube ticket, all these expenses, which actually can come off your tax bill, how do we keep an eye on them? And how do we, what is it? Maybe some tech, maybe some tech help there in terms of some products out at the moment that can really help people.
1: Yeah, so tech is a really good enabler for staying on top of this stuff and for maximizing the reduction in your tax bill. Because fundamentally, you know, from HMRC's point of view and from your own point of view, You need to have the receipts to support what you, you know, the expenses that have gone through, to support that they were business um, orientated expenses, and support, for instance, if you're VAT registered, we can talk about in a second, then to actually claim back that VAT. I think point number one, and like just most fundamental, and you're winning if you're doing it, is just making sure you ask yourself the question whenever you have a cost, whenever you pay a bill is this in relation to my business? And if you're even not even sure, put it through your business. And and on on that note, get yourself a separate account for your business, because then that becomes a very definitive place you can look to see the expenses you've incurred. And if you're not even sure whether it's business, put it through, because you can always move it into a director's drawing account, or a limited company, a director's loan account, if it's personal. But the thing that I see very often is that business owners won't put it through. They're not sure. They think it's not deductible or they just yeah. it goes through their personal account and it gets lost. And that's actually disproportionately I can, kind of where I see a lot of the expenses not get claimed. So we can talk about other things such as, as you mentioned, working from home. So as a limited company director, there's a flat rate you can charge, which is £216, £216 a year or more than that of your expenses some more each year. But that is... Unquestionable by HMRC, and it's a very obvious area where <coughs> limited company directors can get a reduction. If you're self-employed, you can recharge a portion of your expenses from living at home. So that is a really key area where you, you can get a little deduction. Right. Um, there are other things such as you know mobile phones. A limited company director, it's a very nice way, uh, way of saving you a bit of money by putting your phone through under the limited company's name, and that's really really important. Um, the same for sort of other costs. And just I think outside of that, you know, looking at, percent, especially for a limited company, there, there is more, there are more kind of uh, unusual ways of saving tax that perhaps an accountant would be able to advise on. In particular, you've got to get the mix of salary and dividend right.
0: That was going to be my next question.
1: Exactly. So I think just going back to, you know, just to clarify, and, self, and self-employed, it's a little bit more common sense, if I'm honest with you. You've got the working from home, you've got the recharge of expenses. Um, from there, you've got you know, your phone, your travel, a key area. So make sure you're charging travel and understand the the, the way in which that, that's done. So you, there's a couple of things you can do there. Um, but the key and most obvious one is by charging, charging a mileage rate, currently set at 45 a mile, um, that's the stash.
0: That's driving, but let's just say most people here who might be listening be London-based, okay. yeah. tubes, buses, maybe even Ubers.
1: Again, and, and, and that's why I haven't picked up on it, because I think it's more obvious. Okay. So if, you know you've incurred a cost, Ask yourself the question, is it business? Put it through, it is. It's travel. Okay. Um, you've got to be a bit wary. Yeah, so you've got to be a bit wary. And this is where I think you know, it's hard for me, probably in this conversation, to just go fully in on every yeah, single course. intricacy of it. But I think, um, you, you know, it, as I said, if in doubt, put it through. Have the conversation with your accountant. Things like coffee, there starts to be th- this question of what's called, or HMRC referred to as duality of purpose, where it has a personal benefit and a business benefit, and it's unclear, and they tend to come down on the side of, that's fully non-deductible in that case, okay. if there's a personal, they see food and drink as something you have to do to live. Whether it's right or wrong, and this is where, I'd I have conversations with business owners and they go, but it's not really fair, like it. it's definitely for business, and I have to do this because it helps me to get, yeah, I hear you. But they've been very uh, sort of rigid in their guidance because there has been abuse of of, of putting through, yeah, client saying yeah. all that kind of stuff. So. Fundamentally, if you're traveling, if you're on the move, if it's awkward for you to, to, to you know, uh, make food or you know, get drink in a normal way you would in your daily life, then I think that's a very key uh, example of a situation where you can claim what's called known as subsistence, um, which is where um, you claim your food and drink costs when you're on the move, essentially, and that's allowable. When you're out with a client, you know if you're on the move if you're traveling to go see them and the costs are incidental to um, having the business meeting then you can claim them and then there's this sort of gray area whereby for a limited company you've got trivial expenses um, whereby uh, as a director you have an allowance of 300 pounds a year where you can essentially Kind of treat yourself, and you can see that as the odd coffee here and there, you can see it as a little gift, you could, you know, something you just add a little, um, buy yourself some tech for the office. Yeah, There is an allowance there, and again, it it spans wider when you have employees. So so. does that
0: equipment come into play, say if you're an influencer or a graphic designer and you've got like a a new laptop to buy, if you've got um, a camera to buy, is that, is that can all be... It's business expense,
1: exactly. And just be very clear. Like I guess it's it's more difficult with self with self employed, which is why it's just you just want to keep good records. And then coming back to that, we'll talk about the tech in a second. As self employed, keep the records. If it's business, claim it. And yes, you know, equipment's a key expense where if it's um, if it's used for business put it through, um, you know, there is also, you've got to be mindful of the personal usage within reason, and um, you know, char- recharge the cost as a percentage for a limited company, if you can put it through the company's name or wherever possible, the limited company wherever possible, and keep that separation between personal and business, it makes it easier to claim those costs without any uh, concern that they wouldn't be uh, non-deductible or picked up in the future. But from a tech point of view, just going into okay. the tech, there's a number of tools you can use. So slightly different from self self-employed to limited companies. Uh, there's certain tech that's more specifically focused at self-employed.
0: I think, I think we could probably move fully into limited. I'm gonna guess yeah. that most people now are probably thinking, right? I might be earning over 25. Let's just let's just go limited.
1: Yeah, and that's my speech. Yeah. Well okay. Well, really. So let's so go
0: limited for for the purpose of, of the the tech talk.
1: Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. So yeah, let's go into limited. So from my perspective on limited companies, uh, we've now transitioned. Well, we should have now transitioned fully into onto the cloud. So previously, the go to in the industry was Sage One Fifty for startup small businesses, and now. From my mindset and pretty much the London bubble, zero is dominating the game.
0: Zero, that's the Xe Oro.
1: X-E-R-O, yeah, um, the accounting software. You've also got QuickBooks who are making a play in, in, in the space and a big player in the US, and they're the most uh, popular cloud-based tech, uh, my understanding, is for small businesses in the US. So, um, yeah, they're also making a play, and you've got Sage making a play as well. In, in, but Zero, very much at the moment, for me, is my go-to, and just all the noise in the market, from my perspective, is towards Zero and it being the best tool. So that'll be the go-to. Look at things if you're just starting out like Zero do offer a lot of kind of promos. So right now, if you go to zero.com, I think it's forward slash startups or backward slash, they're, they're offering 50% off for the first 12 months um, if you're a startup within one year of starting. So have a look at that kind of stuff. They do some intro packages, which are super handy when you're just looking to see, is this going to work for me? Um, trying to work out what level of Zero subscription you want to use or a standard or premium if you're doing FX stuff. But certainly, it's, it's a no-brainer. You okay. can link that with
0: your bank account, you can link that with your maybe a playo, like a receipts app. Can you can you link it so it can all automate it so it makes it easier for that year end taxes?
1: So why do people why should people be using account software? Because there'll be a lot of people going, Well, that's fine, Dave, eh? but I can do it all in a spreadsheet and you know, just use my bank account. Why do I need an account software? And if I'm honest with you, I think here it's why duplicate the work in some respects? So this, these software have been designed around keeping your accounts in order. This is what they were made for. You could design your own spreadsheet. You could try and do your own thing by using your bank, and, but these tools were made for it. And you know, for a re- relatively small expense—zero, you know, somewhere between twenty-five and thirty pounds a month—like it's a small expense, relatively speaking, yeah. to keep one of the most fundamental bits of information of your business in order each month to help you make you know the right decisions. Is um, it's a no-brainer. But also, you've got to remember that you know, your accountant is going to have to prepare your accounts at the end of the year, or you're going to have to do it. And you're duplicating work, from my perspective, if I'm not seeing those accounts, I can't advise you properly and on a live basis if the information isn't in there. I have a link between the year-end software and the account software so that it pulls directly when I know everything in there is okay. What you don't realize, a lot of business owners, is that if you're, if you're providing information outside of the account software to accountants, you may see a fee from them, but guess what? They're duplicating the work behind the scenes and they're charging you for that work. So what a lot of people don't realize, they think we're being you know, not using the software, saving money. That accountant is blowing that budget at the end of the year not telling you because you haven't used that tech. So from that point alone, the fact you have to get a year-end set of accounts at the end of the year it would save all the money you'll spend during the year using the account software, and you're gonna get the benefits day to day of seeing live information, running your account, payable report within there, making sure you can see whether you pay things, your reconciliation. You can send invoices directly out from a nice invoice. You can send your invoices out, you can make payments, you know through links on there they link into stripe link into paypal to go this direct debit as you say you can also see it basically like a motherboard that's how i see zero it ties into all this other amazing technology one of the most fundamental pieces of tech that business owners should be using is an OCR expenses tool, so a, a, a receipt capture tool. Okay. And I like to think of it almost like a, a digital, like in-tray, like in the old days, the old days, yeah, like six yeah. Years, like five years ago, slash so still happening, and where you put you know, your paper uh, invoices and receipts into a, into a tray and you then process them later. Yeah. I see things like Receipt Bank, Data Molino, hub Hubdoc, Auto Entry. These are all variants of the same thing. They, you take a picture on your phone of your receipt, or you forward, forward through uh, an invoice um, or a subscription cost. That you get it through on your, your emails, and it will then process the information on there. Pick up on the VAT if you have it, It'll pick up the supplier, the due date, the okay. invoice date. All these key essentials. So what happens is you throw it in there. You go, yep, yeah, take a picture. Deal with that later. And you come back to your in-tray, and you're like, right, well, yeah, let's, let's process all this stuff. And it's like, hang hey, on, well, it's, it's done for me. So it's kind of like, it's a really nice thing to just quickly write, receipt, forget about it, okay. to you know. You can um, throw that
0: receipt out, that paper. You, throw
1: out, you know, HMRC, are cool with digital receipts, this is kind of, you know, something that was- And just best name best. some of those, those brands again. Yeah, so you've got, Receipt Bank is the biggest player in the, in the game at the moment, the t- you know tying with Zero and QuickBooks, relatively inexpensive, Although I think people an issue probably think that it is expensive, so you're looking at sort of... Uh, and if you work with an accountant, they'll probably include these costs in with their fees. But if you're not, maybe you're looking at something like 20p a receipt, um, something like that, which sounds a lot, but when you do it a lot of times, it saves a huge amount of money um, and time and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, but as I said, an accountant will tend to, to include it. In. So you've got Receipt Bank, you've got Data molina, which is my preferred, just because I think it's the best tech. I, I personally... Have used all of them, and I just, just for me right now, I, I like it um, more than the other ones. You've got Auto Entry, which is another player, HubDoc, which is bought out by Zero. So, you know, it's worth kind of just having a look at the pricing across all of them. Yeah. Your accountant might use, have a preference for one, uh, have a look at what deals there are, and just play around with a couple and see which one you like. But this space is always changing. And one minute I'm saying, oh yeah, we use one of these OCRs. Yeah. Tomorrow I could say, there's a whole new bit of tech out there that's changing the game. So for me, it's always about, what do I think the best tech is? And not having an allegiance to, to one. You know, I use Zero, I use Data Menino. Okay. If there's something better tomorrow, I'll move all my clients. Okay. Right. It's as simple as that. But yeah, the tech is super important to, to, to free up your time. And quite frankly, with the receipt capture stuff, it does it better than you would do from a human perspective. So your fundamentals are zero and a receipt capture tool. And then you know, as a business, if you're doing inventory, if you're doing, you know, you've got a lot of customers and you're doing uh, appointments for consulting, then you might there's various apps you can use that tie into zero. If you're an e-commerce business, you can have the payments coming through. Um, into zero. so like you can get your shop out.
0: via LinkedIn or something like that yeah
1: exactly so there's a whole marketplace almost like the Apple sort of app store you've got the Zero marketplace and it's right. it's kind of interesting to see what's out there so you know I don't think accountants try, try to stay on top of kind of what's out there and they can advise you in terms of what the apps are that would be applicable for your business but um, take a look people should just take a look
0: the purpose of business for most people is to earn an income. Um, let's just say you have your limited company um, and you're the only employee or you're the owner-founder. When it comes to actually taking money out to live each month, um, yeah. what's sort of your advice on that? What are your tips for, for actually drawing down out of your, your business?
1: Yeah, so fundamental, I did a little video on this actually recently, like super like quick video um, because I just saw this like so many times founders starting out, you know, we're talking about limited companies here, and not actually knowing how to take money out of their business. So there are two fundamental ways you can take money out of your business as a director of a limited company, and that's salary, as you've alluded to, and or dividends. The most efficient is a combination of the two. The one thing you have to consider, though, is that you can only take a dividend if your business is profit-making, i.e. your accumulated profits to date sitting on your balance sheet in what's known as retained earnings account or profit and loss account on the balance sheet is positive. It has to be positive in order for you to take that dividend. So that's a key thing you have to remember. But fundamentally, uh, a combination of the two. So what is the most efficient way for it, everything else remaining, you know, you've got a profitable business, you've got cash available to take out, um, it's not, you know, you haven't got earnings elsewhere, so you want to take it out of this limited company. What's the best way to take? Well. It's a combination of salary and dividends. So you want to take up to your national insurance threshold for the year, which is I think around eight thousand six hundred at the moment. Eight six four two, eight six three two. It's around that that area. Um, and if you work with an accountant, like for instance, I know exactly what that is. It's plugged into my yeah. calculations and and um, what I'm what I'm putting through salary for the directors I work with. Last year it was eight four uh, two four as a threshold, that is completely tax free. Beyond that, as paying yourself salary, you start to pay national insurance contributions. Um, so that's when it becomes more preferential to start paying via dividends. Dividends are not taxed um, for national insurance but um, salary is. So, And it's not just you that pay the national insurance as an individual, but your company will do too. So beyond that point, the company starts paying it uh, 13.8%, you start paying a 12%, 25.8% tax. Whereas if you take a dividend, you're then taking a uh, 19% corporation tax and you're getting the rest the remainder up until the rest of your personal allowance is tax-free. It starts getting complicated. So oh, I'm right. just going to take yeah. it back to simplicity here. You take up to your national insurance threshold in salary, which is around 8,600 at the moment, 8,632, I think it is. Okay. Um could be... Like a couple of pounds wrong. Um, and then above that, everything else is dividends. You then get to take advantage of your £2,000 dividend allowance. Always make sure you're taking that. So be wary of that. Um, and then everything above is dividends. That is the most efficient way to take money out of your business. But fundamentally, you need to be doing that. So, you know, the thing that I see is just people just taking money out and kind of just thinking, Oh right, yeah. So self-assessment, and it that's not how it works. So as a limited company director, you do have to go through self-assessment unless you're not taking anything out, um, and you also have to go through the process with the limited company. And you know, obviously, the initial, the immediate response is going to be, oh, that sounds a bit long, that sounds a bit, you know, arduous, i like, yeah, this is going back to the point we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, which is why then people may choose to be in a situation with a self, self-employed, where perhaps the tax efficiency isn't there in the same way, but the admin isn't there, so that's why there's this play. Limited companies more tax efficient, but yeah, you've got to think about salaries and dividends and then I've also got to do self-assessment and, you know, I'm not the same as a limited company and, you know, I can't just proportion all my costs and I actually have those various caveats. Yeah, it gets more complicated. So, so that's, that's the um, fundamental.
0: I think last sort of um, question on kind of the... Limited company for someone who's just an individual and who's earning, you know, say like below 80, before yeah. we get on to like the startups and raising money from angels and going into seed rounds, etc. If you are, say, use the influencer because there's so many out there now, if they are earning a salary from, let's say, a job in a, in a restaurant or they're doing three days a week in an office and they're earning a salary and they do POE with their, their company,
1: yeah.
0: is it then best to take that as your kind of salary? and then go and just take dividends from your limited company yeah is that so some people good. until they until they're fully fledged involved they have a part time job and they do pay away yeah. a lot of people have it
1: of course yeah so if you're if you're already surpassing your national insurance threshold via uh, another job then yeah. if you're making if you've got a profitable business um, via your limited company then take it all as dividends yeah. so absolutely right. and just going back to that conversation just in terms of facilitating those two things I think it's a really important point that I'm saying oh yeah take salary take dividends and it's like oh right yeah how like how am I going to do that like what okay sweet sounds good man like I don't know how to do that You've got, to just, you've got to go through the process for salary of setting yourself up on PAYE. You can do that via your online HMRC portal, which is something you want to set up when you start your business. Type in HMRC services. It'll take you to, oh, do you want to register for HMRC? Yes, I do. Okay. And then it'll ask you if you're an individual or you want to set up for a company. Set up for a company, go through the steps. Then you'll have a portal, it'll give you login details. From there, you can go add a tax. From that point, you can go, I want to add corporation tax because I want to be able to tell you that I'm active for a corporation yeah. tax. Um, so then I'll give you a UTR, that's important. You've got to add corporation tax as a default if you're trading. Um, and from there you can also add P-A-Y-E and you can add V-A-T. So P-A-Y-E, at that point you'd add it, you'd say, hey, uh, I want to pay myself a salary, um, I'm going to start from this day. They'll give you a unique reference code, and that at that point you really want to have a conversation with an accountant. As much as I think the whole industry is moving towards, and I'm a massive advocate for moving towards Uh, limited company, founders and small businesses internally keeping track of their operational finance, running their payroll. We're not quite fully there yet. There's still intricacies, they're a bit complicated. So that's payroll. Dividends there's a couple of things with dividends again you've got to have profits available to take and you can't backdate dividends so you need to declare at before the point when it so you, you know, For every tax year, you get a £2,000 dividend allowance. Okay. So you want to be declaring before the date at the end of that tax year. Right. You, you need to be all over that because you can't back date. So that's one thing. If you want to declare, you've got to raise what's known as a dividend voucher just to basically clarify that the board of the company had the conversation, they declared a dividend, and it's signed off by the director, and okay. it's on this date. It's just the process you've got to go through. You can access it within zero yourself. Um, it might be that you need to be an advisor to do that, but again, these, both these areas, you want to have a conversation with your accountant, but also encourage your accountant, I think, to bring a lot of the ownership to you so you can run that yourself.
0: Okay, so it's that fine balance, I think, of having using tech as an assistant, but having that accountant as your go-to still.
1: Totally. Yeah. great. It's a great pay- There's some great payroll tools out there and some new ones going to come into the market. They're super intuitive, zero super intuitive. But you always tap into your accountant and find an accountant who will let you have ownership, and they will be able and they will educate you. That's my view, yeah. to be honest.
0: Let's move into the startup world, and something I'm going through myself at the moment. Um, so again, let's just start with like a little bit of a story. I think it's good to kind of go at a practical example. If say we're raising one hundred and fifty thousand pounds, we get the investor on board. The angel investor board comes on board. Yeah. That's a bit more of a, a, a bigger chunk than, you know, earning income gradually as your limited company or sole trader. This is like a, a proper business and obviously you're going to be fully fledged to build up to, you know, hopefully a, a pre-seed and a seed round and a series A and, and so on and so forth as things hopefully become successful. So where do, where do I start?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, at that point, he, You may not have a lot of infrastructure in place, you know, at that point, you didn't even know whether you were going to get funding or whether it was going to be a thing, so you're kind of like, well, why would I invest in infrastructure and accounting software and all the kind of... So, so I think at that point, it's firstly, you've got to treat that money with a lot of care. And, you know, one of the fundamentals of that, well, it's money, isn't it? So, how do you look after money? Well, yes, of course. You have a strategy, you have a vision, you have passion, you you believe in what you're doing. Um... But you need to track it. You need to track where it's going. And ideally, you need to look at trying to develop some sort of plan, a forecast of yeah. some sort. And that can develop over time into something a bit more comprehensive. But you want a means of tracking your money. You know, uh, So essentially, we're talking about account software again and a process around that. And then also a means of tracking how you're doing against having a plan and a means of tracking against that oh yeah that sounds really straightforward Well, it's not that fundamental right there is a really tough thing and I see a a ton of businesses who just operate blind with that money and look at their bank account and you know I think in doing that if you don't have a plan how you're going to spend that money and then validate how you're tracking you're going to find that you know, things creep up on you from a tax perspective, from you know, not necessarily realizing that where your money's going, um, and not really engaging with how much things cost, etc. So, it's super important that you look after it, and you know, all the things we just talked about. Get your account software in place. Say, you know, make touch with an accountant. Uh, touch base with an accountant make sure you have a plan in place, like a forecast of some sort, and then start tracking, and make sure you have the means to track appropriately. So this is when we start now talking more about Okay, as an individual you 're not necessarily looking to grow in the same way you know you're looking to have a consistent income coming in when you get investment, you know that money going to be invested and you want to see how that is correlating to future growth. so you want to be tracking, hey, what does our roadmap map look like? how long we've we got with this cash? how are we using it? How, you know, what is it actually How are we progressing? And therefore, the insight and the information becomes much more important because it's very easy to lose track of things as you grow as a business. You know, lifestyle businesses, people earning consistent money, it's kind of more predictable. You look at your bank and it's kind of consistent each month. You don't really need to know insight. There aren't really a lot of costs going on because you're not investing in costs and developing stuff and growing. So you you, you kind of know intuitively. When you start getting money like that and you start growing your business, you start very quickly to lose track of things. Capturing
0: information and when you're talking about a plan and like basically having a financial model, understanding like your burnout rate, when you're going to run out of money, how do you like when you're going to make your first hire? Can you afford that first hire? Is it a is it a matter of getting back in touch with your accountant to come and help you with that financial plan, or is someone else better, I suppose, positioned to to do that for you? Yeah,
1: again, I think it comes back to the conversation. You know, when can we get to a stage where we can. When people are within businesses at an early stage. You're not going to hire a
0: financial director right away. Right? No, for
1: sure. And God, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. You know, I think the, the difficulty we do to have in the industry at the moment is that at that point, you want an outsourced finance consultant who can come in and help yeah. you set it all up. For a- Even from
0: that stage of you've just raised 150000
1: as an angel, round, is, that, is that important to then get that? Financial consultant, then. I think, yeah, but okay. like, not, not. We're not talking big money. We're talking, right. you know, if you can just even get a day of someone's time, you've got some reasonable amount of capital at that point. You know, you're not. So and t- that
0: is to build a model that shows you your cash flow, shows you where you're putting your money when you're so going to so run out.
1: a couple of things there. So let's kind of get to the, I guess the, the point. I'll get, I'll get to the point here, which is, okay, you want to forecast, and you and then you want to forecast, but then you want a way of capturing information day to day. This speaks the same language of that forecast. So that's the fundamental message. I want a forecast, brilliant, nice. And you know, I'll tend to see often a hybrid of a profit and loss and a cash flow and a bit of balance sheet all in kind of one statement as almost like a cash flow. Most founders will tend to just do like a cash flow and that kind of makes sense. It becomes more difficult when you start to try and track against a, a statement like that. So what an accountant would do is turn that into what's known as a three-way forecast. A profit and loss, a balance sheet, and a cash flow statement, all of those three. And then in addition to that, you could have a short-term cash flow, a direct cash flow which shows you all the ins and outs across all the different areas. But you want those three statements. Once you've got those three statements in forecast format, you can then track against them because your accounts are then prepared in the same way. Accounts prepared as a p a balance sheet, and ideally in cash flow as well, and then they're talking the same language. The other thing you then wanna do is make sure all the codings you use, so known as the chart of accounts and in your account software, are speaking the same language. When you go onto Xero or you go into any of your account software, you go, oh, where do I code this? I haven't got a code for um, you know, tech development or, I don't know, influencer marketing and it's not there, and that's, but that's in your forecast, immediately then they can't talk to each other. So you wanna make sure the language you're using on your forecasts is replicated into your chart accounts. And for all that stuff I've just talked about, an accountant or someone like what I'm doing at Sidgrove, that's exactly the vision that I have, which is to set businesses up this way. Okay. And don't get me wrong, this is the ideal, this is what I'm recommending, this is the future, this is how businesses should be st- st- um, setting themselves up from the start. This is not how it has been happening, it happens for most businesses. What happens for most businesses when they get 100K is they think an accountant's too expensive and they'll just ride their luck and invest their money where they see more obvious return, which is in things like you know investing in their marketing, investing in their product development, investing in a new hire they think's gonna change the game, a sales director, a, you know, a coder. and I agree with all those things because I do think that most of the time at the moment in the accounting industry, you're not seeing a proportional relationship quick enough between spend and value add. Okay. That needs to change, um, and, and part of that change needs to come from founders going, hey, um, yeah, I want to engage with an accountant, but what I want is I want a forecast, but I want it done you know, relatively quickly, concisely. This isn't a complicated business yet, and I want my chart of accounts and my accounts in a format that talks to it. So if you can guide them and actually come in there with an idea of what you want, you're gonna streamline the way the accountant operates. And you shouldn't be paying huge money for that, although I think you'll find maybe at the moment you're paying a little bit more than what I would hope Accountants will be charging. So that's where we're going to. I think, you know, on a fundamental level, if we strip out the forecasting side of things, because that's super important, but that's somewhere where, as under what I'm doing at Sidgrove, um, my vision is to make that something that we can stop in place very quickly and easily. But I think fundamentally, you have to know how you're going to track what's going out of your business.
0: A, a point, and it might even... Um It might even be for like a a limited company who's small, but they want to grow, but definitely for startups and you're looking at, you've just raised money. You're going to make a couple of hires and simple math is you have a hundred grand. You're going to hire three people for 50 grand each. That's 150 grand over the year. And you can't afford that in your head, but you know that hopefully when you hire them, they'll bring in more revenue and hopefully you'll grow. Is there a rule of thumb or anything you'd suggest founders um, or any owners when they're going to scale their business, when they're taking that first scary step to scale and make that higher, that they know that they'll be able to afford it. And I know there's an element of risk, but is there a rule
1: of thumb where you should be staying within lines? I think it changes all the time, to be honest with you, because technology is allowing smaller businesses, in my mind, to stay leaner for longer. So with, you, with embracing new tech, it means that you can kind of prevent yourself from having to commit to hires. But okay. well, let's
0: say you are, say you're committing to the hire.
1: Okay, you're committing to the hire. Well, I think you've got to run it through, in my opinion, you want to be running that f- through some sort of forecast financially. Okay, Okay. so yes, you've got an idea of what they're going to do with the business. You've got to feel for this the right thing to do and it needs to happen. Before you take them on, run it through a forecast and ideally run it past I mean really ideally I'll learn to pass an accountant as well, because you're not just looking, or if you're not, then here's some advice, I guess. Um, you know, you're not just looking at the gross salary, the 50k, you're looking at holiday, you know, in terms of uh, well actually I guess that's gonna be in combined in what they do, but just you know, realize that you know 10% of the time they're not gonna be there. So understand that effectively it's more expensive than when you if you're comparing to outsourcing, for instance. Okay. Um, also note that um, that's the gross salary and you also have to pay national insurance on top of that as a company. Let's call that 10%, so it's an extra 10%. You're also looking at things such as you know, their IT equipment. They're going to need computers, they're going to need tech. Um, they're going to need a spot to sit if, they, if you're working in a co-working space or an office, right? You're going to have, like, staff events. You're going to want to keep them employed. There's going to be... I'm uh, um, sorry, engaged. Yeah, no, I'm like... Of a, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, that'd be ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but, so yeah, you want to keep okay. them engaged. But all these... What I'm trying to say is that there's, there's all these spiraling... So that 50K salary is probably closer to 60? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think you can probably safely say you're looking at close to 60. Okay. You know, you know to add on another... or at least the 10 so 20% is probably a prudent thing to go overall in terms of almost things you can't tangibly and that's something that I'm looking to bring into models myself but yeah, on a fundamental level, you want to model for that. Um, but you know, the other thing, obviously, on a positive note, you want to model for all the benefits they're going to be bringing. But what I would say is that one of the main reasons I see uh, businesses uh, being in a situation from a cash rate perspective is taking on staff too early okay. um, without really thinking about the implications, whether they need them. And quite often they will need them, but they're going down a, a business strategy that is potentially potentially most beneficial. So, i.e., what does that mean? It means that businesses will get excited when they get interest from new uh, customers, and they will scale at all costs, whereas scaling isn't necessarily the answer to better bottom line profits, cash flow, in the short term, when you haven't got your systems honed, when you haven't got you know, your efficiency honed, um, when you haven't looked at your pricing more effectively, you know, getting better pricing from your direct cost suppliers. If you're an inventory-based business, a product-based business, um, all these things. Because you know, it's growing your sales should be the last thing after looking at your pricing, your efficiencies, your your direct costs, all that kind of stuff. Um, and very often it's the first thing the businesses look to do. Without you know and doing that without being watertight, things change when you scale that you just don't account for. People just think, oh, I've got to replicate this. It's going to be sweet. And you get these sort of steps in costs. Costs don't tend to sort of go up gradually. They will for a little bit, but all of a sudden, bam, you, you just get hit by like, okay, I have to hire at this point, and 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 what you find is you go, i from personal experience, I see businesses go through these growth and then like, everything's sweet, and then all of a sudden they just get hit with all these costs, whether it be taking a bigger office on, whether it be you know taking on new hires, um, you know inefficiencies in the customer service or difficulties in the customer service, the brand image they need to rec- recruit there. And then they're actually scrambling to make profit through a certain period before they make it again. So you just got to understand that when you're, when you're looking to grow quickly, let's say it's beyond a, and this is further down the line, you know, when you're looking at sort of 2 million plus turnover, um, you've got to be, you've got almost got to have some, some money in the bank, you've got to be aware of what's about to happen, you've got to make sure that you're watertight from your processes point of view, if you want to sleep at night during yeah. that period. And... You know, there's something to be said for, well, it's just difficult, isn't it? And you just sort of get on with it. But if you can at least be aware that, you know, when you scale, you're not necessarily going to see proportionally the same contribution bottom line, um, you know, cost step up.
0: Is there a a moment, and I know it might be difficult again to put your finger on it, when actually bringing a financial director in-house and kind of moving away from the financial consultancy is a good time?
1: yeah I mean the thing is from my perspective I think you know I'm a sort of advocate for kind of outsourcing finance only because I believe in the product that I the service that I offer right I don't think it's necessarily right right now generally speaking for a lot of businesses because I don't think the delivery is very good generally speaking you know I don't want to necessarily focus on the negative there I'm trying to do something about it but more often than not you know, you can't get somebody who's truly engaged in your business, who's empathetic, who's genuinely driven to do right for that business unless they're in the business. They're invested because they're employed in the business. So, you know, in a, key, in a key period of your growth beyond, you know, the initial stages when you can afford them, I still think the right thing to do is to bring someone full-time into to finance unless you can do something like, I guess, what I'm doing at Sidgrove, which is, I think, you know, bring in... Uh, Great experience and expertise and early stage that can come in and can be used on demand. You know that's the ideal from my perspective. I mean, when do you bring someone fully in in house? I think you know there's a point where the work is to such such a degree, such a scale. That if you're, if you're employing an outsourced consultant all the time and outsourced okay. finance, you know, then you need to bring someone in-house, but it's about doing this. So what, what's the key message here? You've got to do it intelligently. You know, bringing someone in from day one, I think, is not intelligent. I think, you some, from my perspective, if you can find someone outsourced who has really good experience, you know, um, good efficiencies with implementing finance uh, departments, um, can do it quickly. And can be used on demand because you don't want to take on that that overhead full time. Use that expertise to build your, you know, over time, build your department. Bring in someone full time, and I'm not saying, you know, bring in someone of the highest expertise necessarily or the highest expertise. If you can bring someone experienced in on an ad hoc basis and then bring someone less qualified, less experienced, but then can basically play out those processes they've set up, for me, that's the most efficient. So I feel like, okay, a typical example for a startup, I used to get approached by startups to come in as a head of finance, and let's say I was on 60, 70K, you know, that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And I felt like I spent a lot of that year building processes building stuff, being inefficient because I wasn't joining when there was a process in place. And I spent a lot of it learning. I learned my craft as a head of finance, charging businesses a lot of money. For, you know, and That's just the way it was and that's the way it kind of is really. And I was doing a good job. I was working super hard. Would I be more efficient had there been somebody in the market who was like, you know six years post qualified worked with founders knew it inside out knew exactly how to implement finance quickly came in there for two months smashed it out got an amazing infrastructure in place super super um efficient and then i came in and then they taught me in a month how to use it i'll be like i firstly i would super speed my development as a head of finance you know coming in from a junior role and i'm benefiting from all their experience and then i can roll it out that's when it becomes beneficial to bring someone in at that stage when you've got those processes in place, right. you know, but at a more junior level than I think people perceive. Because if you've got the right controls in place and processes, then kind of anyone can do You don't need the experienced people in there. Really,
0: I'm just aware we have 10 minutes and I do want to talk about SIGGROVE, but first, and it's kind of, I probably maybe should have said before we started to give you a bit of a heads up, for the power of hindsight, every... Podcast at the end is going to ask a question and I want to frame this in a way folks I think the audience is going to be more and um, sole traders moving into limited companies your freelance designers your your PTs your your influencers So three kind of pieces of information that in hindsight you would want to give to someone starting out from day one that they can actionable that would really really help them in terms of their accounting and finances yeah. set Based on that, they're going to be a limited company, and they're going to be, you know, earning a salary for themselves. Just three pieces of information that would really help them.
1: Yeah. So I think. So number one. Uh make sure you're, I think just the fundamental like we talked about. Have a look at whether you're a limited company or self-employed and decide what the best route is for you and give a conscious thought to that. Um, And on that note, then know the advantages and disadvantages of each and know how to take money out in those contexts, different contexts. So um, number two, I would say, engage with technology wherever you can. Like it's gonna save you money from your accountant, it's gonna make your life easier and it's going to make something which is fundamentally, let's face it, like done in the old way, like super boring, super unengaging. It's going to make it more engaging. It's going to make it more interesting. Um, so that's important. And then I think you know, yeah, find an accountant. You know, it's a really difficult one because so not the last point is. Do find an accountant. Okay. I think you know a lot of people tend to stay away from me, they try and do what they can, they're sort of the mate down the pub, like you know, or just friend, friend of a friend, just yeah. like, yeah man, how do you do it? Oh, I've got a spreadsheet, in like, My accountant's got this, and then they send over a spreadsheet. And and I think times are changing a little bit. I think I would kind of like agree, I understand why it happens, I have empathy why it happens, but What I would say, go and find an accountant, and if you don't feel like they are helping to deliver value, they are helping you to make better decisions, they're helping you to save tax in a way that you feel has integrity, all these things, if you don't feel like they're value, find another accountant, and keep finding, and keep changing accountant, don't stick with one. If you don't feel, if you feel like you're not getting value, and this, by the way, for those listening, like that will be, unfortunately right now, a disproportionate amount of the time, like that will be so often, like, don't feel like you go to one and you get bad experience, you go to another and you get bad experience. Like, that, that could keep happening. But it's so important. You find someone eventually you can trust because they are out there. Yeah. And that relationship should be one you can trust. Or you go to them and go, like, and, 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 realize, and, and know that they're going to give you advice and they're going to do everything they can to do it in an efficient way and a cost... Uh, in a way that actually overall benefits you significantly. Because the concern right now, I think this is kind of final point on that, is it's just that people are scared they're going to get ripped off. They're scared that it's not an efficient thing to do, yeah. which is just crazy. Like, but it's also, I understand, it's actually, quite frankly, it's also true. I don't think we are delivering good enough as accountants, and that's why you're yeah. seeing it. But yeah, go do, do, do find an accountant, because you do find the right one, then... It will benefit you significantly from a tax saving point of view, um, from an advice point of view, um, purely also from an emotional point of view. Financials is stressful yeah, for most for people sure. running a business, and you know the, your accountant is someone you can you can open up to because you know they can. Because no, firstly, they're you know bound by the ethics of their institute and all that kind of stuff, but they know your financials, so you've got nothing to hide. And they can freaking help you better than anyone else. Right. Listen,
0: I think it's like and it's something that I've struggled with in the past to starting a company. Like one of the biggest issues I found was actually finances and looking after it, and it caused a huge amount of stress. Um thank you so much for everything. Um it goes without saying I will of course be using you for, for our new startup shackle. Um I just want to talk, you know, touch briefly on where people can find you, how they can reach out to you, what is your philosophy for Sidgrove, um, and, and just really tell people where they can reach out because I think after listening to this, there might be quite a few people who'd, who'd, who'd want to chat with you.
1: Yes, uh, yeah, obviously, thanks for having me. Like, it's, uh, it, you know, at the moment, it's like not almost not super polished from my perspective because I haven't done a lot of this. I actually, I'm obsessed with creating and video and all this stuff because I'm actually a DJ as, as well. And so that's actually a p- real passion for me. I've had to rein that in because the minute I started SickRove, I wanted to tell them about, God, I'm working on this stuff and all this tech going on, I've got this vision. And I've had to just knuckle down. I mean, I, you know, It's why I also have a lot of empathy with business owners. I'm doing the hours. I'm like, you know, cash, um, income, friendships, all this stuff. In a way, you know, and and so I'm about to start out on a journey of sharing. This is why this is quite nice because this is the beginning of my journey of going. Hey, look at what. I've created said Grove, and I'm super excited to see how that can have a massive impact on the way accountants run the relationship. With founders, with early-age startups, with real people doing, running real businesses that are getting either ripped off by their accountants, not getting the service they need by their accountants. Um, and also for accountants, hopefully, to, to inspire accountants to do things a different way and okay. to inspire a new demographic. So in terms of how people can find me, uh, I'll be more active. I'll, I'll
0: link you everywhere as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, so so, so Sidgrove, if you go to Siggrove.com at the moment, I actually started a site there and I took it down. It didn't purvey, ultimately, what I wanted to purvey. And I also wanted to keep quiet i'm almost this weird thing i've almost been anti-marketing in a way of like i've been super conscious of all the incredible amount of work i need to do i did not in any way underestimate trying how how can i deliver better i mean like so much better at a cost people can afford in the startup space um, in the way i wanted to like I, i did not underestimate how much work would be involved in doing that and so I've kind of stepped away from any growth in the short term any almost self-indulgent in sort of going up and talking about what I'm doing and, and LinkedIn and, and producing content but I have like 300 bits of content written yeah. I have like so much content I have tens of 20s of videos like I've recorded, and so that'll be coming out shortly under Dave Selick on LinkedIn. You can find me um, if you search Sidgrove on Google. You'll find either the, the, my site, which at the moment doesn't say a lot, okay. but there'll be stuff. And that's
0: S-I-D-G-R-O-V-E,
1: Sidgrove. Sidgrove S-I-D-G-I-V-E. And
0: Selick is S-E-L-L-I-C-K, Dave Selick.
1: Okay. Um, but yeah, you'll be see, seeing a tons more, tons more uh, content over the last, sorry, over the next, no content over the last six months, but a lot of stuff coming over the next Brilliant. six months or so. But yeah, LinkedIn is the best place to get me at the moment. Um, I, I, I love to talk about what I'm doing. This is why this is really nice, because I always enjoy the opportunity. I've always had to kind of step back from it, because I, I, I love talking about it. I'm super passionate about where things are going. I've been very frustrated with the industry in the past, and now I've, been able to, which is why I had to step away from interacting a little bit on LinkedIn and I've gone into focus on the solution and now I'm coming with that. So yeah, you'll find, as I said, Sick Grove, you'll also probably find some stuff uh, in relation to my DJing, perhaps if you go through some of the pages a little bit, but yeah, ultimately, well, yeah, yeah, lots of excitement.
0: Thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, obviously, this is the end of this podcast and YouTube over there. Um, I think the next one's going to be talking to either an angel investor um, or a venture capital firm. So, really excited for that. But thank you so much for listening.